makes you such a threat. We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power. Chasha. Greetings and good day and welcome, my relatives. I shake your hands with a good heart. It's good for all of us to be here. I look to the forever ones for knowledge. First, and let's acknowledge relationship to all. The life-giving force of the sun, moon, and the stars. Wake up. It's time to wake up. Today will be a good day. And you are listening to First Voices Radio and Tequiston Ghost Tour, sending you greetings and strength from the highlands of the Esopus, or temporarily called the Catskill Mountains, in the lands of the Muncie-speaking Lenape. This is an all-native-hosted, all-native-produced First Voices Radio, and Liz Hill from the Red Lake Ojibwe Nation is a producer of First Voices Radio. I want to go first and to the people in studio and one via Zoom out in Shasta, California, right now. <clears throat> so I'd like to welcome Jonathan Gonzalez, who was born in Tuxtepec, Oaxaca, Mexico. Grew up in Southern California. He spent the last 12 years, 13 years probably now, learning earth-living skills and ancestral ceremonial ways with many teachers, elders, participating in indigenous earth-based ceremonies, which he's doing right now in Shasta, along with a quest to connect more deeply with his ancestral lineage, which is indigenous Taino from Puerto Rico and Chinanteco from Mexico and Africa. He's a, And I have, a, again, in studio is Lucas Jatoba, We'll hear from him, who is a photographer and filmmaker who was born in Manaus, northern Brazil. He's been living in Rio de Janeiro since 2014. Went to study anthropology at the Fluminense, I hope I'm saying that right, Federal University. And Lucas started working as a freelancer doing professional and volunteer documentation works on topics related to human rights, especially um, issues related to urban social issues. And we have, again, to my right here in studio, Christian Matute Sagbai, incarnated on the lands currently referred to 
Qual é qual é que qual é qual é qual é Ecuador. Not too long ago, it was a Quechua Canary territory, but I still say this it is still that territory. The, mm. This recognition of land and language has drawn Christian to the work of language justice. He is currently exploring this avenue of healing while keeping in mind the need for future generations to decolonize themselves through expansive and yet connected land-based principle. And we usually start this little round table off with Jonathan and Lucas and Christian and myself, Teokasen, with a little water. And would you guide us, Christian? Absolutely. Thank you, thank you. We need the ancestors, please. It's a spirit of water that's always with us. And gratitude for all of us and all that we share in unity. May your waters be sacred. Waters life. Cheers. We are live in studios. Yeah. Yeah, in <laughs> Kingston. So we have a whole hour to figure out. Oh, we bring this microphone there or scoot over to figure out what we're going to talk about. Usually we have no agenda. But it seems like we have a lot of uh, expression coming, and I want to start out with our guest who's out in um, Chasta, Mount Chasta, Jonathan Gonzalez. What are you doing way out in Northern California? Hmm. Well, first, thanks for having having me on here. It's always an honor, always a pleasure to be part of this conversation. You know, it's this conversation is becoming one of the greatest honors of my life, and. I feel like what I'm doing out here is a continuation of that honor. Um, and right now I'm currently uh, looking out at this beautiful mountain peak, Mount Shasta, where the you know original people here, the Shasta, the Wintu, the Yaruk, the, 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 the Karuk, uh, and, and many other peoples call this place, um, maybe called it at one time home, maybe still call it home um but revere it and call this this place sacred um, um and so i've been you know uh, given the great honor to escort uh cherokee elder uh bear clan uh melody beaumont talcott and uh, out out here as she's making a, an offering to um, a mayan elder uh, and um her to initiate a ceremony um so you know, this is just, this is part of what I've kind of been called into, fallen into. It's kind of like called me. And um, and as I'm here and as I take this sip of water and as I look at the snow-capped peak and the snow, the clouds just moving across, dropping little bits of snow. And I'm thinking about this water and I'm thinking about the land, I'm thinking about Mother Earth. And just just having a deep uh, feeling of just being really humbled by this journey and being able to offer support and and to say to a lot of people to like carry water for an elder or carry their bags or drive them around is one of the greatest honors of my life. And maybe a lot of people wouldn't understand that, but I know even though I'm not in the studio, I can feel the presence of you three and. Um, and I know that you understand what I'm talking about. You know, I know that you understand that that what that feeling is like. 
and um and something in there feels like man i wish somehow i can convey um how beautiful and how humbling it is to do this work of of uh, just caring holding and just being there in support and um so really that's what i'm doing here and um you know there's more to say and i want to just leave space for this intro for everybody else but um again thank you so much to to the people of this of this place that i'm at and and i also just say how before i pass it off just like thinking about getting on a plane flying three thousand miles away landing on another piece of piece of mother earth how much we take that for granted and how much we are absent from relationship to the people of the earth oftentimes and um right now i'm feeling like um mixed but um a little sadness that our culture if we have that you could call it that maybe you don't want to but at least our society we feel like this major uh, out of balance relationship with the travel with the experience of earth and being on land and um, so now it's feeling very acute to me right now and i just wanted to say that um so thank you and you know that's a little bit of what i'm doing that that's uh, jonathan gonzalez out in shasta stay with us and and i think that that feeling that is mutual amongst us three here that we feel that same tug or tear or separation because of the world we have to live in as native peoples here. And I want to go to, to, uh, Lucas, Lucas Jatoba. Jatoba. Jatoba from Brazil, because there's a lot going on there that we may not be aware of as well as you just explained it in Northern California. And the journey you took to California, that felt like, Oh, we have to go places as native peoples. But, you know, I think about the ancestors. They went places without having to go um, on jet planes, you know. So I want to give that the ball over to Lucas because there's a lot of things going on in Brazil. First of all, welcome. I know you've been on an hour, an hour, a year and two, two months journey. And last time we saw you was January of this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's a, first of all, it's an honor to be back um to be back looking at you all in the studio uh, unfortunately jonathan couldn't be here in uh in person but um yeah i've been bouncing around this um this part of the americas uh through north america for this past year um i started here in the northeast and then went to the south and then to the pacific northwest and then i got you to meet the, the Midwest too. And as Jonathan was saying um, about the connection with Earth and with the land, this was a very important journey for me of connecting to the land. And, but not only about connecting with a different culture with different cultures, because this country is huge and there's a lot of things that go goes on, like from east to west. And something that I always noticed was about how about the comforts that people have here in this land, living uh, to make a living. And right now in Brazil, 
um, as Tiokasin was mentioning, we're going through a very severe heat wave that is heating the, um, mostly the southeast for people here to understand it better. It's um, temperatures are around 104 degrees Fahrenheit uh, have been reaching Brazil right now. In, and we're not even in the summer, and specialists are saying that it's about to get worse when the summer arrives. But not only in the north, in my land, where I came from, um, in Manaus, um, in the Amazon, um, the deforestation has been affected, affecting the urban life, and people have been getting sick and waking up. Uh, under smoke for criminal fires uh, caused by deforestation. This year was also the most severe drought in in a long time. I think in a hundred years it was like the the most severe drought that we have seen in the past few years at least, and that caused a lot of uh, communities to to be isolated because you can get nowhere um, when the rivers get dry because in the Amazon the, the levels of the river can go like pretty high or pretty low and if they get pretty low you don't have a river anymore so you can't travel to, to those places anymore. Mm -hmm. So we've been facing in Brazil right now a um, situation of um, climatic emergency and that doesn't get enough attention here especially the Amazon, especially my hometown, uh, right now people talk a lot about the heat wave that's heating the southeast, but um, the situation in Manaus is still very critical and it doesn't get enough attention. So, so I would like at first to bring awareness to these two situations and um, bring my uh, bring that in memory for now. Christian Matute Sagbai. We were here in June, July, when we had to shut down because there was smoke. The sun was red in the sky. For three days, people went, went through life as if it, nothing was alarming, just the darn sun and the darn smoke. But they didn't realize that the deepening thoughts of what Lucas just described, you know, in the, the earth, all this is, Earth is responding to, to what? And you, you were there with your young family. What did you do in, in that way of understanding Earth and what you have to do? Thank you. Yeah, thank you all for being here. There's so much that's being shared that's aligned. And just to answer your question now, I'm just... It, first of all, it's a, it's a really, like, it's a strong feeling to the body. When you see that right away, um, you, you know, Day to day, there's things happening in the mind. As a parent, you have things you're thinking of. Um, and it's not until you see the physical effect sometimes that sh that like everything else fades away and you're like, wait, the earth is saying something right now. And so when I remember looking at the sky, uh, living in the woods in Socrates, uh, New York, it was really scary. I'm like, what is going on? This is definitely a big response. And then breathing was harder to 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 do as a, as a regular thing, as, as a thing that we, we also take for granted, uh, the power of our breath sometimes. But as we are seeing more and more of these uh, human interactions with the earth that are not aligned with our um, indigenous ways of, of understanding um, creation, right, that 
we just ignore things. It's as as a, as a humanity, we're <laughs> we've lost so much of our ways. And so for me, uh, what it becomes really important to do right now is for my child to have a lot of time outside and sort of like be being being in relationship with Earth as a kid, how the kid sees it, and for me to be able to like facilitate that as much as I, as much as I can. Um, and then we will, I think, naturally have our answers that Earth speak to us as long as we're able to hear and listen. And some of that means holding space, holding a prayer. You know, sometimes that means um, sitting next to a tree and, and just feeling what that's like, you know. Other times there's more collective action that could be, um, that could be inspired. But I think for me, it's really important to sort of ground and deepen as to um, like how I'm moving in, into spaces where action, collective action is needed, such as what's happening also in Palestine right now. There's a lot of how those, uh, I, just, I just read something, how, you know, apartheid and, and just genocide in general has an effect to the land. And it's not necessarily seen right away because of all the trauma that's being generated but it has this ripple effects. And so what happens in Canada will affect something that's happened in Brazil. Um, and it may not be, we can't, because we don't see it right away because, because we don't have this like instant gratification that our phone you know, provides or, or many of these ways that we distract ourselves. We don't have that importance laid out in front of us, but it, we will see it down the line. And I just feel like incredibly privileged to be in this area where we don't have those like severe effects right away. We did have a drought last year for farming it was really it was really tough and you know um at the land where I was living I was able to see those effects in the pear trees. From when I entered the land where I was living, the pears were really just like in terrible shape. There were there's bugs everywhere. They they just have marks and all things that were not really edible. And then this year when we had more rain and me tending to the tree, me tending to the, to the garden that was there, I was able to see a drastic shift of how the earth, you know, adapts to some of these changes. And by the core stewardship of someone that wants to be in relationship with the land, by taking care of it, by adding the compost, by taking off some of the pests that have been uh, out of balance. And so there's more of this pest versus the other, you know, by just being in communication relationship with it, we're able to have something that was uh, more fruitful, more delicious this year. But just like it's incredible how all these factors are just always interacting but um you know there's there's so much more to say here um but yeah. yeah there is much more to say your thoughts jonathan out there in california what what these two young men here said i, I can't actually i'm sorry john I'm sorry yeah, go ahead. i i did want to like there were so much beautiful things that you are saying especially one thing you made me think about john when we're traveling and what you mentioned to teokasin about our ancestors how we used to travel to this land there was there's a time in which it took to integrate. The travel was slower. <laughs> you know, when we're flying in the hours, we're across, you know, uh, whole states and continents. And it's like, there's almost like, a, there's, a, there's a dissociation that happens. And it's like, we're put into a brand new geographical environment and our body's like, what was going on? But like, our ancestors had the time to integrate to each level, to study the fauna, to study the, the herbs, you know, just to like, the that relationship man we need to slow down i'm sorry but y'all made me think about that you know like <laughs> the importance of like what happens when we don't take that time to be in relationship yeah. yeah like what what is happening with earth when you know when we're talking about 
um, genocide. What's happening? You know, you don't hear the story. You hear like about water, how it's being rationed, right? And you hear about how many liters of water um, people get or people don't get. Well, are we hearing about what's happening to the to the waterways, to the river, to the to the oceans, to the sea? Are we hearing about what's happening to, you know, the animals who live near the waterways, the birds? What about how many pets and or dogs or cats are out there? You know, it's it's like this is something that people in this country can relate to a lot. It's like we have this thing in in the United States where people are almost obsessed with their pets. Right? They're they're their family, yeah, and I and I and I get that. But when it when we when we shift away when we shift the conversation to something global geopolitical that all melts away you know that all fades away and we go back into what is what's what what is the human uh, what's the a, a result on, on on human beings right so just trying to refocus the conversation a little bit more so people can maybe broaden how we look at these um, uh, events that are happening these wars this um, what's happening on a, on a on a global scale with the climate um, climate damage you know it's it's what is our what are our relatives what are the trees feeling you know can we feel that can we do we even want to have that conversation and um, and a lot of times um, it feels like, no, it feels like we don't want to have that conversation. Mm. And it's almost like we're, we're afraid of death and something that you said, um, we've talked about a lot to is we're afraid of biophobic, you know, mm. and that comes up so much in the experience of, of being wrapped up in the anthropocentric m- mindset. It's like we're afraid of anything that is going to like make us feel uncomfortable. And death is one of those. Lack of control is another one. And when you think of climate damage, climate change, it's like we don't have control anymore. And so we want to control it and we want to have like a war. We want to fight it. You know, it's all that language of, of war and domination. And so, um, you know, I, I, I totally agree that like what a what an experience of privilege it is to be here and it's seemingly so peaceful. But is the earth feeling that same way if it's all related? Is it just because the bombs aren't dropping over here? You know, is it saying, is Mother Earth saying, yeah, it's it's peaceful? Does she want to have a relationship with us? I believe she is, she does, you know, but do we want to have a relationship with her? We want to have that relationship. It's a good, good thought process. Um, Lucas, you described all the, the, the droughts, um, the population of Brazil, especially in Manaus, your, your hometown. Do you see a shift of the young people in, in Manaus, especially in the Amazon kind of going through a shock period because things are changing so fast with the climate? Mm, I would say um, that 
people definitely feel that something is going on, but it is still very dependent on the authorities uh, moving on towards um, doing something because people are still not that aware that we are um, doomed to, to systems, to complex systems that affect this whole planet. Uh, for example, you were talking about um, the fires that happened here, and I was like in the west coast of Canada, and that was happening uh, when New York, the so-called Big Apple, was like um, waking up under smoke, and that brought a lot of awareness because of the fires that were going on in Alberta, which is all the way almost to the west coast of 3, Canada. miles, yeah. Yeah, More. and me in Vancouver, I wasn't experienced seeing that smoke not in the same level that you were experiencing it here um, we could definitely notice how you said Christian that um, the air was drier um, the throat was different but there was it wasn't even close of, of what was happening here and that's because this complex system drags all the winds from that area, from the west to east, and and that brought awareness to people here of what was going on, and what I, what I was talking about, and I think that people don't understand and people can't see that down there is the level of comfort that people have here that creates um, a situation that it's not sustainable in the long term. And that is affecting not mostly this country, but other parts of the world, because people can still retain their lifestyle here. And that's not the same. I remember the first time I went to New York City um, a few years ago, it was during the summer. And something that struck me right away was how people lived on AC 24-7. Like how AC was like huge air conditioning units, like in small studios, like that people live. And on just 24-7. Like in Manaus is a it's a place really, really hot. Most of people there that can't afford, they will have an AC unit. And they will turn it on during the night to sleep. If you leave it like running 24-7, your energy bill is going to be unsustainable. And nobody can afford doing that. While here people have the ease of doing that. And I've seen that all, uh, all across the country, actually. Uh, while I spend the summer uh, elsewhere. What is the effect of having that on a daily basis, on a whole season, mm -hmm. you have 24-7 um, of cooling. What does that do to the climate? Right. Wow. Well, we're talking about Jonathan Gonzalez, Lucas Chitopa, and Christian Matute. So bye. And we're going to go to a break here on First Voices Radio. My name is Teokas and Ghost Horse. And
son, don't you be surprised. It's the trouble that That's Mike Michael Kiwanuka. Nothing to lose. Um, yeah, so we're back. My name is Yogi and Ghost Horse. This is First Voices of Radio, and we're speaking with three gentlemen here. I'd say native people, first of all, respected from Brazil, Mexico, and Ecuador. Jonathan Gonzalez, Lucas Jatoba, and Christian Matute Sagbai. Before the break, I was talking to these people, even though maybe Jonathan out there, you didn't hear what we, I was saying here. I was talking about, <clears throat> there is a common myth, I would say it a myth, and it probably sold a million copies. It was brought forward by someone named Hillary Clinton. And Hillary Clinton said, it's an African proverb. It takes a village to raise a child. We can all agree with this, right? We agree with that? It's like, yeah. Mm -hmm. I was thinking along the lines of where I come from that that thought needs to be completed. So let me see if I can make it more coherent, more coherent energy to the wording that doesn't make sense to me, at least to this one indigenous person. 
this world of language is fascinating all the time to me, exploring the similarities and differences, and which makes it so unique that we are human and be able to speak this way. But it seems like something's lost in translation. So if, if it takes a village to raise a child, and I can't think that in, in Lakota, or I can't think of it that way, because it's human-centric, I would say something like, it takes a land to raise a child. It takes the land to raise a child. And we were talking somewhat of a diaspora, of being separated from land and where we're from, which is really true. And I grew up in the center, geographical center in South Dakota. And all around me was free land. And being able to access to the river, to the to the trees, the, the valleys, to the fruits and the roots and the berries and hunting and, you know, experiencing seasons. And it was just there. And I was hardly at home. I, I'd come home when I was totally exhausted and sleep and eat and go. So I'm thinking at this point, that the land, although I had parents there, and brothers and sisters, and family, we all took care of that, each other that way. That way it's true. But they too were often on the land, not so much centered around what we call Teosh by our family, humans, that we were out there and the land was teaching us, the land was raising us, bringing us into what we need to do to be mature with land so that we know our first responsibility. So I'm going to give it out there to you three. There may be silence before any of you three answer your thoughts. No, I appreciate that. For me, I'm just thinking of like exactly as a parent, as a new parent, we have a five-year-old and now a seven-month-old. And with the first one, I learned so much because we were living in the woods um, that there's there's a limit of how much I can teach my son. And I'm actually happy about that. There's like almost like a weight that's lifted off my shoulder when I realized that the earth, by them going outside, that there's very specific things like, uh, like the way courage looks like in a, in a setting in school versus how courage development through the earth, like internally, happens through like such a climbing a, um, a, a piece of log that's fallen down and like calculating whether he wants to jump off or not. Or like climbing a tree, can he do it? All these things that happen internally that are really cultivated in, in our internal world and that the playground of nature allows us to explore so deeply, you know? So, um, yeah, just in, in, su in such a way that my using this language, using English to explain linearly how to do or, or like what are the things that I've experienced so I can pass on to him, like it, it's not the same. Right? And... Not, not to, you know, not, not to put down the ways of which a parent can teach their child when we don't have access to land, because as diasporic people, we ha we face all the other ways of doing that, right? Um, so not, not to bring that down at all, but I do want to like uplift that obser observation as my own lived experience that I'm, I, I feel so blessed for such a, and myself to have the opportunity for the time that we did when we were living in the land to have that. And now that we moved away from that land, into a more regular, like, you know, because we were living in a tiny house for the folks that don't know me and in the middle of the woods. And it was a beautiful experience for that, for what it was. But now we're back at sharing in a two-bedroom apartment uh, and at a big house share, you know, like this uh, closer to, like, you know, pavement more and, like, access to, the, like, roads. And 
and hearing you know the sounds off the freeway and stuff like that it's a totally different it's a shift right and now as kids i can see that Sacha has so much energy in the morning, energy that he used to be able to take out by going outside, stepping out. He's there in the middle of the woods and just get lost in his own imagination. Now it's like we have to shift what that's like because all that energy is now encased in this small apartment. And it's a totally different thing that as parents, we, we're going to continue uh, uplifting. But going back to your point, it does take the land, uh, land being shared with, between people. Um, I've recently also um, had my uh, a blessing and opportunity to meet at uh, Three Sisters Farms uh, um, in um, in New Jersey, where um, the Micmac spokesperson from Canada came to sh basically talk about the four elements and how four guardians are one of the basic uh, structures in building a, a tribe and building a community li living in land and sharing responsibilities and how we have to embody one of those elements within that tribe in order to like have like a solid basis for um, community making decisions um, and just being able to like move on as to how to share responsibilities within the land. And that we completely lost because we don't have access mm -hmm. to land in this way over generations, right? Yeah. Where we want to return to that. So that's the goal, um, I think. And I think as a generation that is waking up towards those uh, desires that we want to see that manifest in, in community. Mm -hmm. um, so going back to, you know, there, there's also this belief that People are always going to be damaging land no matter where they go. As indigenous people, we know that that doesn't have to be the case. In, in fact, if we get our, once again, if we get our learnings and our, and our relationship with the land, so the teachings comes from the land, it's like we're not going <laughs> to, yeah. yeah, we're not going to be able to do that. So It's kind of like, of, um, I'm thinking about what you said, it's kind of like if we living, we're living on the land with the land, we learn a certain intuition rather than instinctual. Yeah. Because instinctual is foundational. Mm -hmm. But intuition mm -hmm. is what all the other beings are, are living with. Mm -hmm. That's their language. That's right. Yeah. Um, Christian is definitely an example of a parent that's um, raising his kids, like in um, relationship, having a deep relationship with the land. And you know, I was going to make that question to you. Because to me, um, it was a totally different experience growing up because I grew up in an urban, urban environments and away from my hometown, away from um, the state I was born in, which is um, Amazonas, like living in mostly in big cities around Brazil. And uh, I went to develop that connection to nature and to land later in life when I moved back to my hometown and then later ahead when I started rock climbing and that was always bringing me to uh, um, to the woods and to the mountains and that's what I've been mostly doing around here in North America all the places I've been I was going and being in the woods um, climbing and having deep and connective experiences with the land. And in one of these places that I was living in Colorado, um, by the mountains in, in Boulder, I was uh, living in, in a lodge that is like enshrined 
and deep in um, kind of like deep in the woods surrounded by woods by creeks so we had a lot of um, encounters with wildlife um, that passed by that place like black bears uh, snakes or um, mountain lions and it was very interesting for me to see people that would go to that place guests that would stay on that place for just tourism and some people would travel um, all over the country from east coast to the west to stay on that place for two weeks and don't leave the place at all be spending their days in their beds and not leaving what that place had to offer because it's some something uh that you can't experience here in, yeah. in new york that much because all land is private mm -hmm. and then you get to this barrier that uh land is private and at least in that part of the country there's a lot of places where you can go that you can simply go to nature and there will be no boundaries of uh, private property being in your way to be experiencing that place. And it was very interesting to me to notice that a lot of these people that went to that place was were not having a connection with nature. They would spend the day in their rooms looking at their phones and vacation <laughs> yeah and that's what a vacation meant to them yeah. um, and now jonathan is in the west yeah. and looking at a beautiful mountain um what can you say about that i don't know if uh the words that i can come up with couldn't even scratch the surface of what this beautiful land with this beautiful mountain can share by just being here, by touching the earth, by um, honoring uh, the people who were here, the land itself, the trees, the mountains and the water. But what, what I was thinking of was, um, you know, it takes a, a takes the land to raise a village, or you, maybe it was the land to raise a child. Child. And you know, I I I I, I want to like think that it takes the land to raise a village, also. You yeah. know, to, yeah. to hold a village, to mm -hmm. like to allow a village to become what it is, because without the land. What, you know <laughs> what 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 is there right and so like i i it's reminding me of so when i was 29 about 14 years ago i um i sat out my first uh vision quest and and i felt like that was the beginning of uh my remembering that was the beginning of being raised by the land, by Mother Earth, who like reached out and kind of taught me how to be comfortable in the discomfort of not knowing of what I thought that I was supposed to be afraid of, because that's what, you know, that's what kind of society teaches us in certain ways. Um, 
you know, bugs and things in the middle of the night, not being able to see, you know, I remember lying down and a mouse running across my chest and, you know, I, I kind of jumped up because it was something that it's not a common experience for me. And, and now 14 years later, it feels like, um, and I've shared this before the comfort of the complete darkness where you can't even see your hand in front of your face, but you can hear the sounds of the night, maybe the wood frogs, and you can feel the tree pushing up against your back with the wind blowing. You feel that relativity of all of all the beings out there. And, and yet we still, and, and so I know how, the, how important this is, how essential this is, how, the essence of what we are as humans is derived from the essence of what mother earth has offered us. But yet we live in a society where it's like, we want to continue to compartmentalize all of our relations. You know, it's like the kids over here, the elders over there, the land is a, a thing that we walk on. Right. And rather than having all of those elements together, and even in the nature's, school network which i was a part of for many years there's still this element of of fear of the land like something they don't like let's let's pull it out let's get rid of it snakes let's move them bear let's scare them off with with bear spray and bear horns you know rather than something like a, a, a relationship well maybe we honor the bear maybe we honor the snake and maybe the snake and the bear, they see us in a different way. Mm. Um, and yet we're not, we're, we're still, we're still struggling with our relationship with ourselves and our relationship with mother earth. And so maybe someday we can get to a place where we can have an understanding that it takes the land, period. It mm. takes the land mm. good, for us to live. Great, good thoughts. Yeah. Um, it's going to take us time right now. Because time's running out, so we're we're constrained by time. I'm gonna give each of you a minute or so, and to give us some thoughts. And <clears throat> hopefully, we do this again soon. It will hook up with you in Brazil. <laughs> Who knows? Once you <laughs> once you leave us, we'll go with you first. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's been a long journey for me, and it was one month and three years away. Um. Um, it's definitely feels, um, that the experiences that I, um, had here were certainly very deep in within me and all that, um, learning and all that I lived, I'm, I'm going to take it with me. And for that, I feel honored for having met you to you, uh, you, Chris, and you, Jonathan, and being able to talk about uh, my land here and on my way back, I hope to create an even deeper connection with it because um, when you go out and experience the world and in other lands, 
it makes you appreciate more yours. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, I do that because it resonates. I do that because yeah. it's the joy of, you know, the realizations that come with um, even just appreciating the cultures that the land has um, shared with us, you know, and how we represented that in, in our specific ways. Um, so with that, I, I really want to come back to some of the elemental, like foundational things as, as human beings. And like, you know, Jonathan's sharing earlier on as we opened up with the water, uh, we do feel this connection. We do feel this intuition. And a lot of that comes through water. I feel like water is such a carrier, um, of consciousness, of emotion, of <laughs> literal blood or DNA. Right. And so how the iron in the blood of our, yeah, in our bodies resonates with the iron and the magnetism of the earth and how that's in every, every living being and every animal and, and beyond, right? So I think we, for me, like as, as I'm speaking from a place of just trying to pass this over, this, this type of um, desire to connect with the earth and be in relationship with the earth, um, I'm speaking this in order for my for other future generations, for my kids' kids to to hear this eventually and and know that you know we're making a shift, we're making that like conscious decision to come back, come back to be in good relation, come back to uh, listen to our elders and the wisdom and pass this, the stories, the sharing knowledge on, and um, that yeah, I do as much as I do miss Ecuador, which I will go back to. I do will go back to the uh, Quechua lands um, of our ancestors where we spoke. I grew up speaking Quechua Nol, which is like Quechua in Espanol, you know, not really realizing that that's what I was doing. Um, and so, you know, just I know that I'll go back and carry also what I've, what I've learned here as far as what it takes to be in community spaces, what it, you know, even within our own lands, even within our own, you know, indigenous uh, folks, there's still relational things that need to happen mm. you know this concept of you know forgiveness and and what's mine and what's yours and you know we've we've forgotten many things so i think i'm going to take a humble connection with the earth and how that to me i'm i'm in ecuador right now because abiyala meaning uh north and south america using these words um is not just limited to to this way the condor and the eagle mm. are Flying mm -hmm. together now. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Jonathan, you got about two minutes. Oh, oh, we can't hear you. Uh, I well, thank you. Um, I feel honored, of course, to be here. Um, I, I'm paying my respect to you, as I'm, I might say, um, a teacher and a mentor and a, and a dear friend, all all three of you, and um, I. I imagine um, that, uh, well, I don't imagine. I look at this mountain over here, this mountain, Shasta, and I feel the same way. You know, I feel like what a what a beautiful chance to learn um, if I can only learn to listen deeply. So um, I'll leave it there. On our way out, I just want to mention that we were born into this dimension, mm -hmm. all of us. And so we are becoming Earth when we're born into it. And we're, then we're, and then we are living in this dimension. 
and we are becoming earth. And then when we are leaving this dimension, we are becoming earth. So it's always a cycle, always moving in a spiral. A circle is a, is a merry-go-round, but a spiral is no ending, no finishing, no, no starting. Understand the difference between connection language and relationship language. There's a big difference. Thank you, Jonathan, for being there. Jonathan Gonzalez out in Shasta, Mount Shasta, California. And to our friend from Brazil, Lucas Chatopa. Thank you for joining us here on First Voices Radio. It's always an honor. Obrigado, too. And to Christian Matute Sagbai. Thank you for being family. Gracias, Lucas. <laughs> Thank you for being family. Yeah. And I'd like just to say, This is First Voices Radio.
rabia, la tierra piensa, guardia, guardia, fuerza, fuerza, guardianes de la vida, guardianes del planeta, de esta tierra herida, de esta tierra nuestra, astroluminosos protegiendo la paz, pastores poderosos, precursores de paz, la voz de la conciencia representada, con resistencia y con un gran ideal, de respetar la esencia de la tierra heredada y compartir amor y justicia ancestral. 